Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity Session 14, Man and His Sons. The speaker is Bill Howard. Well, this morning we're going to talk about a man and his sons. We're going to lay out the practice of this. And there was a book called The Wonder of Boys, by, written by Michael Gurian. And here's what he said about boys. He said, for every boy who feels powerful at home or in his neighborhood, there is another boy who feels lost. For every football star, there are far more male drug addicts, teenage alcoholics, high school dropouts, and juvenile delinquents. Boys in our society today are in pain. And he goes on to say that it is up to society to apply software that will help boys to translate their natural desires for competition, skill building, and performance into constructive outlets. And to do that, boys need discipline, structure, strong mentors, and a spiritual understanding of their journey into manhood. It's pretty true. Uh, I've got four boys. I'm a father of four boys. I didn't get, didn't get the girl. And so this is something that's on my heart as well because I have to raise four sons myself. And so what is needed, guys, for boys, by the way, other studies have said that boys, if not disciplined, structured, and organized, and given a clear definition of the masculine journey, boys by nature are barbarians. And unless corralled in a particular way, they will not go into society to uh, build it up. They will actually tear it down. And if you recall at the beginning of our session that uh, when you lock your car at night, it's not because some girl is probably going to break into your car. It's because some boy somewhere has lost his way. Okay, he's just lost. And boys, when boys get lost, they get violent, abusive, addictive. They, uh, our prisons are full of them. Uh, it's one of the largest growing private businesses in America, prisons. Can't house enough prisons for boys that have lost their way. So there is a need in my life as a father and in our culture, I think, to, to talk to strategically about the masculine journey to our sons that give our boys structure on what life looks like and how they fit into it and that spiritual journey that they're on that will launch them to be stable, sturdy, healthy sons that will move into a lifetime of manhood. So there's more lostness today, I think, than ever before. By the way, if you recall, it's why homosexuality is on such a rampant increase in our culture. <clears throat> is because when there's a breakdown of the family and a loss of the masculine soul, men drift in an erotic attempt to meet in a same-sex relationship what they didn't get or want in a same-sex parent. And, that, and homosexuality is the answer for them in an eroticized way. So, there you go, right? So let's talk about this, guys. A man and his sons, if you got boys... Uh, as I do, then this will probably be somewhat interesting to you. Um, there are three fatherhood styles, essentially, uh, that are attached to raising boys. 
The first style here is what we, if you recall, called the absent father. That's obviously not a good style. And uh, the absent father, uh, as you remember, is a guy who is emotionally and or physically disconnected from his children. He's either emotionally not there or he's just flat gone uh, and is not uninvolved in his son. And we talked about the impact of that. The second dad, the, the next two I want to talk a little bit more about, and that's the, what's called the hang loose dad. And the hang loose dad is the, the style of fatherhood that's perpetuated most today. And that's the dad that is with his son. He's a coach. He may go to his son's games. He may take his son to his games. He may be actually relatively involved, involved in his son. But here's the deal. He's hang loose. He, he's not strategic. He's not, he doesn't know exactly what to impart other than he does know that he needs to be with his son, which is better than nothing at all. It's great. But uh, it leaves the son with wanting more. Because here's the thing, guys. Your children, boys and girls, are like birds in a nest. And when you walk in the house, they, they're like, as soon as you step into the nest, they go like that. And they're wanting you to throw something down their gullet. And it's important to at least be there to show up at the nest. But here's the deal. The question is, what are you going to put down their gullet? What are you going to put down there in their life that will draw them in a direction that gives them discipline and instruction? You remember in the Bible, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but with discipline and instruction, raise them up in the Lord. So the way to create an angry son is to withhold discipline and instruction. You see, that's the, the hang loose guy. Is, he, he's there, but he's, he, he may not know exactly what to tell his son. Or how to instruct his son, especially on the critical parts of life, like how do you resolve conflict with other human beings? Because it's going to happen. How do you resolve problems when point A doesn't work out? Helping him to resolve how to come up with plan B. How to treat a woman. How to handle money. Uh, how does a car work? Uh, so on. Now, I can just tell you, I don't do all that. And I certainly don't do it perfectly. Um, but what you'll discover is, is that when you are with your children, your, your sons, is that you can have moments of teaching time and they will want to learn if you have something to say. Make sense? And so the hang loose dad, again, is a dad that uh, he's there, but there's a lot more in life that he needs to learn so that he can impart structure and character training that gives his son direction. And that's the third kind of dad. And that's the dad that we're going to call the strategic dad. That's the third parenthood style, fatherhood style. The strategic dad, he understands the importance of physical and emotional presence, but he also understands that his son needs more of these strategic investments in his life that are specific, pointed, and directional with regard to that son's life that will give his son 
a sense of vision over his lifetime that will anchor his soul. Because um, if you recall, uh, Jesus Christ was the perfect son, right? And if you recall, when he was ready to embark upon the mission of his father, his father spoke and he said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. You, you do well to listen to him. It's pretty cool. And so Jesus Christ uh, was a great leader. In fact, the greatest leader the world's ever known. Why? Because he was an unbelievable follower of a vision, a mission called and given to him by his father. Now, it wasn't a fun mission. It's a mission that ultimately ended in his death, but in ultimately his glorification. And all who say yes to him will benefit from that son's act of obedience on a cross. Okay, so there's benefit to following a father. But here's the deal, guys. You know, being a father myself, all I can tell you is I've told my boys, there's two things I can't do for you. I cannot uh, raise you from the dead and I can't forgive your sin because I'm not the ultimate father. I'm a temporary provision. But I want you to know my father who can forgive your sin because he gave his son and his son said, if you believe in him, he'll raise you from the dead. And the moment you say yes to him, then that means that you'll know my father. So when you get to know my father, that means we both have the same father. And you know what that makes us? And every, all my boys have made that transference of trust. And they've all said, well, that makes us brothers. Because now we have the same father, which is God, right? I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I played out with my boys. And so a strategic dad then is, and we're going to use a metaphor of volleyball to sort of describe the movement of a strategic father to impart and implant strategies into the heart and life of his son, okay? So the first part then of a strategic fatherhood style is the aspect of the dig, okay? And the dig is, and of course the three aspects of volleyball is the dig, set, spike. And nobody really, if you have ever played volleyball, likes to do the dig, the dig is the hard part, right? That's really where you are digging, jumping, and, and laying your body out to get the ball, to keep the ball in play. And there's really not a whole lot of fun about it. It's actually sacrificial. And the dig part equals a father's character. And he once said, character is what you are when no one's looking. What you are when no one's looking. And, you know, God sees our heart. And so what is in your heart? I'll tell you this just as practically as I could possibly say it. It just seems to me that over the years, now being 52 and being a parent myself and watching parents, uh, first of all, there is no perfect parent. And then secondly, there's really no strategic formula and what I've discovered is, is that it's, it's right here. 
And this is going to sound crazy, but you're either a good dad or you're not. That's all I can tell you. As much as I've done this. In other words, it's your, it's your character. It's just your character. If you've not had a heart transformation, if you're not born again, if you've not had some sort of transference in your life where Christ becomes eminent, preeminent in your life, um, your kids will pick up on it. But if Christ is in your life and he's the passion of your life, he's the quote, and this may sound crazy as a man, but he is the love of your life, your kids will pick up on that too. Not in perfection, but it's your heart. And in Malachi, uh, the very last chapter of Malachi, if you recall, the culture was out of control, just like it is today. And God sent a prophet named Elijah, and he said, Elijah's going to come and he's going to restore the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. It's a heart thing. It's all I can tell you. It's a heart thing. And when your kids know, because your children, guys, have two questions on their foreheads. You know what they are? Who's in charge? And am I loved by the one who's in charge? And see, when you've got character in your life, you understand as a man, if you're a father, you're in charge. <laughs> but not in a domineering way, but in a serving way and in a strategic way. And a good father would never say he's unimportant to his children. But it's a character thing that's going to begin to eke out of your life. It's either there or it's not. That's why I've always told guys, listen, it's very personal between you and God. You know, wrestle with God and your kids will see that. And so here's the deal, guys. Uh, from birth, your son comes into life with a God-given appreciation for his father, period. Every child does. Every child is given in their balance to their father. Your, your, every father has a hero status balance in a child's life. And then the question then is, if a father invests in that, takes advantage of that or withdraws from that. And the determining factor is going to be his character, the father's character. And a child will figure out, usually when he's 10, 11, 12, whether his dad's got it or not, whether his dad's the real deal or not. He'll just figure it out. I know dads that are very religious, very formulated, even legalistic. And they try to teach their kids the Bible. Ah! And yet there's something in their character that's wrong. And some of the most hardened, atheistic people I've ever met have grown up in those environments. And I'm not saying don't teach your kid the Bible. But I'm just saying that's not the key. The key is imparting your heart. The Bible never said in Malachi he's going to bring the Bible to children and then and the fathers and so on. It's the hearts of fathers and their children. It's a, it's a mysterious sort of thing. It's a spiritual thing. And so if you are telling your kids what to do, but are not doing it yourself, 
it will not mean much to them. If you tell your kids to read your, their Bible, but you're not reading it. If you tell your kids to live the Bible, but you're not living it. I'm telling you, they're going to figure it out real quick. And they're going to not respect you. Now again, guys, I'm, there's no perfect man. But I'm just telling you that it's a character thing. This is the dig. This is the part of your life where we have to wrestle with God. It's the grunt work. It's the dirty work. It's the sacrificial work. Uh, it's the part of our life that we say, would I like my kids to be like me? Do I want my kids to want what I want? Do I want my kids to love what I love? Do I want my kids to uh, habitually move in the direction that I'm moving in or not? And it's a big question. You know, I'm a dad. You know, interestingly, in Proverbs 17, 9, it says, the, listen to this, the glory of sons. You know what it is? Is their father's. Think about that. The glory of sons is their fathers. Uh, I heard a guy one time, uh, his name was H. Halverson. He was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And he was describing a uh, conversation on a play school ground where his son was conversing with some other boys. And it was one of those where the boys were talking about my dad knows my dad's better than your dad kind of thing. So this is in Washington, D.C. So one, one kid said, hey, my dad knows the mayor. And another boy said, that's nothing. My dad knows the governor. And Halverson said he heard, overheard his son say, well, that's nothing. My dad knows God. <laughs> and Halverson said he walked away just with tears in his eyes saying he prays that his son would always say that his dad knows God. And so the question, guys, is, see, that's your character. What is it in your life that your kids would say, my dad, that's, that's my dad, right? Uh, that's character. And so uh, the second thing we do then, and that's the set. By the way, guys, on character, it's never too late to do what's right. I will tell you that. It's never too late to do what's right. The grace of God is more abundant than anything on the planet. Uh, if you say, hey, God, listen, I can't. Because here's what character is, guys. Character is saying, hey, God, I can't. But you can. I'm willing. And I trust that you will. Because all I can tell you in James, the Bible said the only thing God's opposed to, you know what it is, men? Is a proud heart. That's it. God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace, grace, grace upon grace to the humble. And if you're a dad and you're going, man, my character's been flawed or I got some issues, humble yourself. And one of the ways to do that is come back to your kids if you've done things or modeled things and just say, hey, uh, I've not done right by you. Or, uh, and I don't know, I think I told you about my cell phone, didn't I? Did 
Didn't I tell you that story? You know, just my own character flaws. But I will tell you this, guys. The great thing about uh, mistakes and the cross of Christ and with your kids is that uh, your character will bring you back to the one place that you know you can find grace, which is Christ. And it's humble. It's the, you know, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And if you bend your knee there and reconcile with whatever you've done with Christ and then go back and make peace, restitution with your family. And sometimes you may have to do that more than once. You might have to do it regularly. <laughs> and it's a word that's hard for guys to say and it's, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that to you. I shouldn't have done that to you. Will you forgive me? But see, if you don't do that, what you leave your kids in their hearts is you leave an unresolved issue between you and them. And it's really the devil's playground. Right? That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Well, if you're the leader of your family, uh, you're under attack constantly. I know I am. And there's nothing more than the enemy would want to do than to take me down and to take my family down. But the good thing is, is I've, I'm not perfect. But I know a perfect God. I'm an imperfect man clinging to a perfect God. And so I know where to go. I know where to run. And all I can do is bring them to him too with the admission of what I am. Because that's our only hope, guys. Right? Is Christ. Okay, point B. The set, then, is the Father's training and instruction. And this is sort of the American Express phrase. Uh, don't, let your home, don't let your son leave home without some things. Okay? And uh, this is sort of the setting. Of course, in the volleyball metaphor, the guy that does the dig gets the ball up, right? The next guy comes and pops it up there, and he's setting it for the next part, which is the guy that comes and spikes it. And so the setter, uh, you want to set your son. So how do we do that? We have to give them, manage them, set them in a way that's strategic. And by the way, guys, uh, the way kids spell love, you know how it is? T-I-M-E, time. And so to set your kids, to manage your kids, to give your kids direction, you can't do it at a distance. It's like trying to sight a gun in at 300 yards. You wouldn't put the target at 300 yards and then try to set it in, right? You start at 50 yards and then you adjust your uh, sight for the level of the drop of the bullet at 300 yards. That's how you sight a gun in. So you sight it close so you can see where the bullet's hitting. And in the same way with your son, you've got to be there close enough in range of your son to give them what they need. And so here is some things you do. The first thing, guys, is you give them a code of conduct that builds honorable convictions. And th this is a sense, guys, of nothing more than right and wrong about purity, honesty, loyalty, Faithfulness, hard work, follow through, uh, integrity, 
excellence, self-discipline, kindness, how to treat a woman, how to treat elders, how to speak, how to hold out their hand and shake another man's hand, and so on. It's just the right and wrong. It's just the instruction. It's the code of conduct. I remember uh, my oldest son, Samuel, was younger. One of the things that we taught him was um, that when women walk in the room is that you show preference by standing up. I remember I was in a meeting with a group of men one time. They were businessmen, and, and here was my son. He was about five years old. Some other guy's wife walks in the room. And it was in a boardroom, and this guy's wife walks in this boardroom, and Samuel's sitting there with me. I brought him that one day with me, and all of a sudden, Samuel just pops up right out of his chair. And every man in that room was led by my son. Every man, instinctively watching him, put their chair out and stood up when that woman walked in the room. I was like, whoa, that is awesome. But he did it because it, it's what... You're taught to do. And here's the thing, guys. Kids are born with an, a warehouse. And the warehouse in their mind is a warehouse of right and wrong, of morality. But it's empty. And so what happens is when kids begin to grow, the job of parents is to begin to put things on the shelves of that warehouse. And in every kid, there's like a guy in an elevator. And when scenarios present themselves in front of a young man's life, this, this little guy in their elevator goes up and down to see if there's anything in there that tells him what he should do. And there's nothing on the warehouse shelf. He won't do it. For example, I recall going into a restaurant one time. There was a young man. We didn't know. He was just a strange stranger. But he's probably 16 years old. And my wife was coming in, and I had, we had our kids, young kids, and trying to get in the door. And I was opening the door, trying to get my... And all of a sudden, this young kid, 16, goes, flies in, butts in front of my wife as I'm trying to hold the door for my wife and goes in the door. There was nothing in his moral warehouse when he saw that situation that said, here's what I should do. In fact, all he's got in there, it's about me and getting my way. And so that's why, guys, we need training and instruction. So the part of the job of dads is to put stuff in our children's moral warehouse so that when scenarios present themselves, that little guy that runs up and down and tells them what to do, they'll know what to do. But if it's not there, they usually will do the wrong thing. <laughs> Makes sense? Okay. So that's the code of conduct. And I heard a story of a guy who his father and he were fishing. And it was from Reader's Digest. It's called The Catch of a Lifetime. I didn't read this to you all, did I? It says, he was 11 years old and went fishing every chance he got from the dock at his family's cabin on an island in the middle of the New Hampshire lake. On the day before the bass season opened, he and his father were fishing early in the evening, catching sunfish and perch with worms. Then he tied on a small silver lure and practiced casting. The lure struck the water, caused ripples in the sunset. Then silver ripples of the moon rose over the lake. All of a sudden, his pole doubles over. He knew something huge was on the other end. 
It was the largest one he'd ever seen, but it was a bass. The boy and his father looked at the handsome fish, um, gills playing back and forth in the moonlight. The father lit a match and looked at his watch. It was 10 p.m., two hours before the season opens. He looked at the fish and then at the boy, and he said, you'll have to put it back, son. And the boy cried, Dad, Dad, look at the fish. And the dad said, there'll be another fish. And the boy said, not as big as this one. And he looked around the lake. No other fishermen or boats were anywhere around in the moonlight. He looked again at his father. And even though no one had seen them, nor could anyone know what time the, the fish was caught, the boy could tell by the clarity of his father's voice that the decision was non-negotiable. He slowly worked the hook out of the lip of the huge bass and lowered it back into the black water. The creature swished its powerful body and disappeared. The boy suspected that he would never see such a great fish again. That was 34 years ago, and he never did see another one that big again. <laughs> but today, this boy is a successful architect in New York City, and his father's cabin is still there on the island in the middle of the lake where he takes now his own son and daughters fishing from the same dock. But here's the deal. He does see that same fish again and again and again. Every time he comes up with a question of ethics. See, that's how it works. That's how it works. So it's moments like that that we uh, give our kids codes of conduct. Second thing we need to give our kids is a manhood vision. <clears throat> And this is really simply what we were talking about, guys, in the definition. The manhood vision is the definition. That your sons need to know what is the definition of a man, which is reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, expect the reward. Uh, Robert Lewis, who's the author of this material, told the story of one of his boys who was dating a young girl who... Uh, liked him, but he liked her initially, but then decided he didn't want to pursue her anymore in high school. And so, but the girl was talking and all kinds of, you know, this is before Facebook. You can imagine what can happen now, you know, if it, all that happens in the social networking. And so the question is, what does a boy do? And so, uh, and the mother, Robert's wife, saw too that this relationship was not going anywhere and something needed to be done. And so uh, Robert was trying to figure out what to do to lead his son, but he had already told his son a masculine vision, the definition of what it means to be a man. And so what happened is, is that, uh, think about this, his son now is presented with a situation, a girl that likes him, he no longer likes her, He's in high school. What do you tell your son to do? Well, listen, son. Here's what you need to do. You need to reject passivity. It ain't, she ain't going away. Secondly, it's your responsibility. Thirdly, in leading this relationship, it's going to take courage. You've got to lead courageously. And fourthly, you do the right thing and what God wants you to do because you're looking not for her reward of you or even anybody else's, but for God's reward. Make sense? 
And with that, his son embarked upon the mission and he wrote uh, this girl a letter and basically said, I don't want to be your boyfriend and I don't want you to call me anymore. So don't do it. And that was it. See, he rejected passivity. He accepted the responsibility. He led courageously all for the greater reward. And he moved on. See that? And that's the way it kind of works. So, that's the masculine vision. The third, th or third thing we give our son is a transcendent cause. And this is, guys, a cause that we let our children know that they are not, your children are not, your boys are not the center of the universe. They are part of a bigger whole. They are unique. They are defined by God, created by God on purpose. But it's not all about them. And that's why I've told my kids, you know, there's one thing that you get in life that you never want to lose because it's very fragile, but very, very powerful. What do you guys think it is? A good name. And with that comes what? It's one thing man wants more than anything else in life. Respect. Respect. See that? Respect. And it's one of the things that once you get it, it's awesome. But if you lose it, wow. It is hard to get it back. May never get it back. Right? Jerry Sandusky. What do you think? Respect? Respect? You ever get it back? You see what I'm saying? You, we could probably go with no, numerous names. Jimmy Swaggart. <laughs> I don't know. Jim Baker. Those are guys my, guys my generation. I'm sure you've got guys in yours, right? Here's the thing. Unfortunately, you don't hear often about the guys that, that have developed good character, but when, when it's bad... And a guy has elevated himself and then he loses it. It's hard to get it back. He probably won't ever get it back, quite honestly. Now, he can restore with God. But in terms of what you have in the world, this one unbelievable thing. And the thing that gives you, guys, the opportunity to create that is a cause that transcends you. Because men generally don't create a lot of respect when they're self-centered butts. There's, there's not a lot of people that respect that. What, what people are looking for, remember the masculine journey for a man, and Jesus said this, if you seek to find your life here, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And so uh, when a man gives his allegiance to someone bigger than him, namely Christ, and then becomes a Christ follower and learns to lead by, because he follows. The cool thing about being a guy, guys, you know, you know what all we have to do? We just have to obey. We just need to obey. Remember that old song? Trust and obey. There's what? To be what? 
happy. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah. It's not that hard. But you see, you have to know what to obey. And that's why the Bible is so important. That's why our relationship with God is so important. But it's why men are so drifting today. Because number one, a lot of guys are disconnected from God. Number two, even if they do, they don't know the word of God. And so they're still left, or I would say damned, to their own reason. And all they can trust is themselves. And so, guys, this transcendent cause is, is bigger than you. It's God. And it's learning to know Him and to trust Him and obey Him. And He will take your life and use you if you just do that. And teach your kids to do that. Okay? Um, unfortunately, I think I see from in my journey that there's a lot of men, unfortunately, today that are living lives to deaden the pain of a life without impact. Because, um, again, it's what we want to do. It's why I started out this men's fraternity between a baseball and a wiffle ball, right? Because every guy in here wants to be a baseball. Every guy in here wants to be a medicine ball. Every guy in here wants to move through life having impact. But when you realize you're not having an impact in the life of your wife, your children, or friends, or the world, or where you are, you know, the older you get, you start trying to deaden the pain, and that's where addictions and obsessions and goofy things start happening. Right? Okay. Got it? So we got the, the dig is the character, the set, and then let's talk about the spike. And the spike is then uh, setting up your son so that you can knock him into the world with incredible power, that he can move with direction. And the spike is a father's ceremonies. So the dig guys is a father's character. The set is a father's training and instruction. And the spike is a father's ceremonies. And basically it's smashing manhood into your boy is the idea. I heard a quote that's pretty good. Um, if I can find it here about boys and men. It's by P.G. Woodhouse. Here's what he said. He said, boyhood, like measles, is one of those complaints which a man should catch young and have done with it. For when it comes in middle life, it's apt to be serious. Do you get it? And because uh, here's the deal, guys. The man in you will never live until the boy dies. And if you got boys, you need to kill the boy so the man can live. And that's the, the ceremonial part of a guy's journey. And so the lack of passages here, we talked about, if you recall, in a son's life, and a boy's life, moving from boyhood to manhood, Paul writes, when I was a child, he should think, act, and reason a child, but when he became a man, put away childish things. And so, remember we asked the question, when does a boy become a man? What did you guys say? You remember? What was the, when does a boy become a man in our culture? What do you guys think? What do y'all think? 
When does a boy become a man? Guys, come on. When he gets a William Wallace sword. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. You see what I'm saying? I don't know. I don't know, graduate from high school, shot my first deer, got drunk the first time, got my driver's license, call, I don't know when. You see that? And so there is a part that we really need to impart this vision into our son and dub them man. And so it's, uh, we're going to use this point number two here. It's the night and ceremonial process because uh, the process, guys, for ceremonies is where boys are called into authentic manhood where they are set to at least live out now the vision of what's expected of them. So at least they know and they're launched to be able to live out. And so, again, a, a boy will never walk into the season of manhood until he's died to his boyish ways. And that's a process, but it starts at a point, and it's through a ceremony. And so this night in the ceremonial process, the way a guy became a knight, it was, there was the page stage, the squire stage, and then the knighthood stage. And if you recall, historically, knights came about in the dark ages and the dark ages were really when the culture was morally corrupt uh, the, the church had withheld the word of God and people just began to drift and, and the, the culture just got really really dark uh, there were hardly any noble men and out of these dark days came nights it's really pretty cool that's what we need today, right? We need some noble men. And so uh, that's what we're going to do here then is in a process of your son is bringing your son into manhood through a process. Um, by the way, it's the ceremony of a knight from Richard Barber, he's got a book called Knights and Chivalry. And this is what he said. The ceremony of knights was the central moment in a knight's life. Every night remembers his dubbing as the finest day of his existence. Because that's the day he was recognized as being a knight. And everywhere he went from that point on, he was also recognized. It was a, a place of great honor because of what it took for him to get there. And so in the same way, guys, that's what we do. We dig, we set and then we spike our son through ceremony. So what is the process of ceremony? Uh, point three, the characteristics of memorable ceremonies. And that is point A, memorable ceremonies are costly. They're going to take uh, time. They're going to take planning. And it's going to take some money. Okay? If you want a ceremony to be good. In fact, the principle is the costlier the ceremony, the greater the spike. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily money. I'm just talking about time and planning of the ceremony. Point B, memorable ceremonies ascribe value. To take time for a ceremony is saying to your son, when you do take time for one, this is important, son. 
Well, I want you to know that what I'm doing here is important. And you're important to me. That's why I'm giving you this ceremony. Thirdly, memorable ceremonies employ symbols. When you get married, you get a ring. If you graduate from high school or college, you get a diploma. If you become a Christian, you get baptized. Um, so in the same way, when you become a man, you need some sort of symbol. And then point D, memorable ceremonies empower a life with vision. So it's a place where if you guys are married, those of you who are in this room are married, you know the moment the pastor said, I now present to you Mr. and Mrs. And you walk down that aisle, did your life not change? In a moment, through a ceremony, you were designated by putting a ring on your finger that you were now someone uniquely different. Right? And so the same thing is with your son. So what is the process here? The knighthood, sons, and ceremonies? Uh, the first part here, guys, is uh, the page stage of puberty. And that's when a boy, uh, in the page stage, in a knighthood, it's where it's between 7 and 14, age-wise. But it's where a boy in, again, the knighthood motif learns falconry, swordplay, and learning the rudiments of knighthood. But in life, our boys need to learn the various aspects of what it means for manhood with regard to, again, how to resolve conflict, get your homework done, uh, make sure your room's clean, um, respecting elders, uh, those sorts of things. But uh, I have what's called the Passport for Purity. It's a resource. If you're a dad, it's for your children uh, to impart to them uh, going from... Uh, through puberty. And if you got a boy, uh, it's usually 12, 13, 14, depending upon where your boy is in, in his life of puberty. And if you recall, it's when the testosterone starts flooding through your body. And the hair starts growing, and their voice starts cracking, and uh, they start liking girls, and all that kind of stuff. And it's a really funky time. You guys remember going through that? Uh, it's called middle school, generally for most boys. And middle school can be a really awkward time for a boy. Uh, it can be a very brutal time for a boy. Because a lot of it's where, uh, you know, you're taking a shower and some guy, you know, you're in there and one guy looks like he's five years old and the other guy looks like he's 50. And it's a very weird, sensitive, tender time in a boy's life. He's trying to figure out who he is and what he's got and what it's for. Okay, what's my packaging for? What, what's this equipment for? And I know there's some reactions happening in my life, so what is it for? For me? For my own personal pleasure? What's this for? And he doesn't know, but that's our job. So what this does is help your son know why he's created the way he's created physically. And it helps him understand what's going on in his life and body. And it's a... It's a weekend. You've got to take your son away for a weekend. It literally takes at least two days, two full days to go through this. And it's got all kinds of illustrations that you can impart to your son with regard to his journey about peer pressure, about masturbation, 
about temptation, uh, about, uh, again, his body, about how far you're going to go in dating a girl because you want to draw, you want to help him at least draw a line before he gets there on what he's going to commit himself to. Does it make sense? And so what I've done is I've taken him away and I've done this with a couple of my boys who are in this process. And, um, and it has a, all kinds of great illustrations that you'll do. One of the things, you, like you get, a, you get a match and the match represents purity, your virginity, his virginity, you know. And then you, you get him to take a match and you light it. And then you ask him after the match, match has been lit, you tell him to take the burnt match and try to light it again. Dad, it didn't work. It's already been lit. Yeah, that's right. You know why? Because you can't relight a burnt match. Your virginity is something you've got. You can only give it away once. You only burn it once. And the question is, who are you going to burn it with? Because once you burn it, you can never not burn it again. It's burned. And so I've told them, I said, listen, you're going to have a lot of guys that are running around that are burnt matches in high school. And the question that you're going to have to determine is, do you want to be another burnt match? Because here's what you can tell them. If they say, hey, are you a virgin? Oh, are you, you know how they're, you got to be kidding me. And all you can do is just burn, you know, do the match thing to them and say, listen, I can always do what you've done, but you cannot no longer do what I'm doing. I'm an unburnt match and you can't do that anymore. Pretty important, pretty significant, pretty valuable. I said, and you want to give that to the woman you marry. And you fill up a balloon and, and you put water in the balloon. And when the balloon, you know, you get to a certain level and you get a little needle and you poke a needle in the balloon and all of a sudden a little stream of water comes out. And then you poke another, another little stream. And all of a sudden you start poke all these needles and then you got this balloon that's got the, all these little streams of water poking out. And I said, those needles are things you do to lose your innocence. You, you check out the internet and you see a naked woman. Or you get a girl and she wants to kiss you and you kiss her and all of a sudden a little bit of your innocence is lost. It's gone. Never get it back. And ultimately what you do with your children is you just say, hey, here's the deal. Everybody's going to get pokes in their balloon. But ultimately, whatever's left in the balloon is what you give to your wife when you get married. That's your innocence. The Bible says, let your heart be innocent to what is evil. Cling to what is good. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Make sense? Stuff like that. See, isn't that great? Isn't that great, guys? Did your dad ever do that to you? I tell you, my dad ever did that to me. But if you're a dad, you can do it to your children, right? And you know what? For good or ill, whether they're going to take advantage or not, that's between them and God. But all we need to do is do what we can do. And that's one way to do it. And that's the whole process, guys, then at the page stage, moving him through all that. Um, and then uh, you have a ceremonial supper where you um, can bring them back and again they've got the definition you teach them the definition you go through that and then you, you take them out to some cool dinner I didn't do it where I brought it there. it was just me and him and I took them wherever they wanted to go you know usually it's a steakhouse somewhere but that they look back on it and go do you remember yeah oh, I remember that I remember that weekend with you yeah 
Then the squire stage, point B, is high school. Now, here's what I did. The high school here is what Robert does is they gather dads. You can get some guys if you've been uh, raising your kids together with another friend or two. And you can gather some men together. Uh, and they give a crest or a sword. And then you have a ceremonial circle of prayer. So here's what I did. This is a William Wallace sword. The, his name's engraved. And then I put uh, the definition of a man right there. Reject passivity, except responsibility on the sword. And then I put uh, 16, welcome to manhood. And then I put uh, my favorite verse in the Bible, which is Galatians 2.20. And so what I do is I invite guys in their life that have been significant, that they admire, that they respect. And uh, we have a gathering of those men and some other men in his life. And I took him to uh, Stony River. And so I bought everybody dinner at Stony River. So pretty expensive evening. Then uh, we had the guys, I asked the guys to share a couple things that they saw in Samuel or see in Samuel that they admire, they have sensed in him. And then uh, also asked them to consider maybe one or two things that as he begins to move from this day forward at 16 that uh, he might want to not forget some things maybe they've learned. So each guy went around and sort of shared. It was great just listening to each guy impart things they saw in Samuel. Of course, Samuel's sitting there listening to all that. It's all about him. And then uh, when each guy gets done, then I share some, uh, uh, something I've written for him uh, that sort of says, here's what it is that uh, it means now to be a man. And I have a list of all kinds of stuff that I do and give him that. And then uh, we sit him down in a chair and uh, kind of gather around him. And then I take this sword and I'm going to give him the sword. And I sort of do the, you know, ceremonial tapping on the shoulder. And I said, you're a man. And this is the sword to remind you of this day. Now, guys, can you imagine now at, at 40 years old, if you had this sword that was given to you by your dad at 16, what do you think that sword would be, quite honestly? Can you imagine having in your office, right behind your office desk, sword framed, sitting there like that? Every guy walks in and goes, what, what is that? All I can tell you is that, why not? You know, doing something to impart to your son that's ceremonial. Okay, uh, to get it, you know, it won't cost you tons of money, but it's certainly significant to your son, and it's not so much the value of it as it is what's on it, you know, and it's his, right? Okay, the night stage is college graduation, and I will do this uh, at some point. I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do it yet, but... Uh, again, it's what they do is a week-long process where they get, again, some of the men that were in part that went through his initial ceremony. They get some of those guys to regather again and pretty much check back in on him and uh, re-explain the sword, the definition, how are you doing, and also um, a ring ceremony and another launch into manhood, which is essentially... Um, the idea of letting him know that he's invited in sort of the inner circle idea. I'm not sure exactly how all that looks because I'm not there yet. But, uh, but I will give them something else uh, as a way of marking that moment of high school or college graduation.
you know, for them. Because, as you know, when you get out of college, you really enter the real world. Okay, and then uh, point D here is the promise-o stage of marriage. And when they, again, get married uh, during the rehearsal, you kind of tell the story. I mean, think about it. Your son meets a girl, they're going to get married, and all of a sudden she hears what's been imparted to the man who she's about ready to say yes to. And in the rehearsal dinner, a lot of that has been going on, and all of a sudden that young woman goes, wow, I'm marrying a stud. I'm marrying a guy that knows. Now, whether he does it or not, between him and God, but at least he's not going to be ignorant, right? Okay, um... Basically, the manhood plan is nothing more than looking back to your life and saying, is there anything I need to suture up? Anything with my mom, lack of men, mentors? Do I need to go get a mentor? Do I need to be a mentor? Do I need to say something to my mom? She's too intrusive in my marriage. Do I need to do anything with my dad? Do I need to go tell him I love him, take him, ask him for a blessing, just move toward him in any way? And then it's a look back, and it's a look to the present. So what can I do right now? And then it's a look to the future. And it's a way of mapping your own life and uh, create uh, an opportunity for you so that you can begin to wrap your life around some of the direction of where you need to go. Because here's the thing, guys. If you never got what I just shared with you from your father, and you're sitting there going, I never got that. My dad never did that. You know what? You're getting it now. And so you can do something with this. So why not take advantage of it, okay?